Hey guys, this is Jake from Strung Out, and you're listening to the Talking Records Podcast. Talking Records Podcast, Talking Records Podcast, Talking Records Podcast. We talk about our favorite records, Talking Records Podcast. We're so glad you tuned in. Thank you all for listening. You showed up to the right place. Jed and his friends dive deep and analyze the records we have grown to love. We'll tell you how we found the band. Track by track, breakdown of all the songs. So grab your favorite beverage and pull up a seat. Today we'll look at another record in its entirety. Welcome to Talking Records, the podcast devoted to connecting with friends over records we love. My name is Jed and I'm joined once again by my pal Craig. What's up, Craig? Hey, Jed. Thanks for having me back. What you been up to? Ah, uh, you know, stuck inside doing some stuff. Recording a podcast with you today sounds like a great thing to do. Awesome. Let's do it. All right. <laughs> today, Craig and I will be talking about Strung Out's 1996 album, Suburban Teenage Wasteland Blues. Oh, such a great album. I love this. Joining us on the show today will be guitarist Jake Kiley. Suburban Teenage Wasteland Blues was released on April 23rd, 1996 on Fat Records. Here to help us round out our understanding of this incredible album is Strung Out guitarist Jake all right. Hey, Jake. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, Craig and I are diving into Suburban Teenage Wasteland Blues, and we've got a bunch of questions for you. All right, guys. Let's do it. So this was to be your second album on Fat, nestled right in that pocket of time when punk was gaining popularity. So we want to know, what was the mindset going into this record? Well, for us, this was like, we were just trying to step everything up. You know, we wanted to be kind of like the ultimate fat band at that time, you know, and... Um, <laughs> For, oh, yeah. for myself, for myself, this was the first record, Suburban was the first record that I really contributed to with some writing and Jordan as well, because before mm. that, when I joined the band in 92, they already pretty much had Another Day in Paradise written. You know, there's a few songs we wrote, but for the most part, that was pretty much written. So I just learned those songs and added in a couple little things. But for the most part, it was it was Jim and Rob's band. Like they they wrote most of the music, pretty much all the music, you know, and, and really dictated the style. So I was just basically the second guitar player trying to just match what Rob was doing and support right. him. And then so so, you know, we did that. And then with this record, it was like, all right, shit, like we're writing these songs as a group now. And with Jordan. Same thing with Jordan. He didn't really write anything on Another Day in Paradise. He just kind of took what our drummer Brad had done and re- replayed it and, and, and proved it. But um, certainly the, the, the foundation was there. So now here we are just completely fresh, like coming off a record, which got a good reception. And, you know, from, from us going in to record Another Day in Paradise, we hadn't done much at that point. We had done a few little shows. We'd done maybe a weekend or two here and there, but we had never hit the road. We had never toured. So between recording that and then, that whole year and a half of touring with no effects, lag wagon, face to face. We went to Japan. We we did all this shit, and so suddenly we're like, oh my god, it's only been a year and a half, but we've done like <laughs> we've gone everywhere. We we we've accelerated ourselves like to this crazy point within a pretty wow. short period of time. So we were feeling that, and Jordan was an exceptional drummer. He was really like this new. He, he was trying to <laughs> yeah. But we were all really trying to push ourselves yeah. to be Definitely. you know the most. Because we came from like a metal background and like a very progressive, yeah. like everything from Rush to, to Slayer and Metallica to Van Halen mm-hmm. and all that type of shit. We, 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 came, we grew up playing that stuff, but also 
loving the misfits and descendants and black flag and all, all that too. And especially the attitude of that. So we were always kind of a fusion of those sorts of things, but we didn't want to shy away from like our metal side and our, you know, our riffs and, and, and pushing Jordan to make the gnarly stills he could come up with and all that. So we really just went into that album to just try to, you know, let's, let's try to top what Lagwagon's done. Let's top what <laughs> Propagani did if we can. I mean, with all, you know, just, let's do our best to try to like be on the level with these bands. Cause those were our favorite bands, you know, yeah. like, and, and I was young at that time. I was like 18 or something at that, when we were writing for suburban 19, maybe. So, oh, wow. so I was just like super into like the scene and trying to be, well, fuck dude, let's, let's, let's make this, let's make something that holds up to these other bands. And, um, you know, and I think that was our attitude going into it. That's great. I think, you know, piggybacking yeah. on what you were saying there, you know, I mean, your metal style definitely shows through. And I think that's what hooked me on you guys originally. And uh, mm. I'm a drummer too. And Jordan was definitely a big influence to me growing up and yeah. my drumming style in our band. Because uh, Jed and I, we played in, well, we, we started in high school back in the yeah. late 90s. So we listened to you guys back then as influence way back that's in the day. Cool. So a, awesome. lot of, a lot of that metal drumming style came through with me too. And it definitely resonated. It was, it was awesome. Yeah, man. I mean, to me, metal and punk are like stepbrothers. They're, they're very closely related. You know, they're very much, there's so much common. But yeah, then there's all this fucking like hatred too. There's like this yeah, whole like, punkers don't like metal, yeah. metal, metal dudes don't like punk. I mean, you see where it kind of can stem from because metal can be very pompous and very like douchey. Yeah. And, and punk can be very, top, you know, yeah. very very raw and fucking gnarly and offensive and all that. So it's like you have these two kind of polar opposites, but then there's like a similarity. There's some middle ground, you know, there's yeah. like, you get that, that chart in the middle. So that's kind of what we did. And that's kind of what, you know, we wanted to just kind of cross over the elements of all that shit that we enjoyed and do it in a souped up, super fast, you know, punk rock melodic. I mean, the coolest thing about like the nineties punk thing, you had that metallic uh, attack and you had like the aggression and you had dudes that were pretty much all metal guitar players growing up playing punk riffs. But then you also had those, those melodics, more poppy, more, more listenable, sensible vocals, you know? So to, to fuse those two together was such a cool thing that wasn't really going on before in the punk scene or wasn't really happening in metal. You know, you didn't really have that fusion of that. So, you know, the early epitaph scene, the fat record scene, we really just tried to, you know, I mean, and, and we're just paying tribute to the bands that were doing it before us, sure. like Suicidal and Bad Religion and, you know, bands like that. And we were just trying to take it and add our little element to it. Cool. So, Jake, a quick glance at the credits reveals that bassist Jim Cherry wrote a lot of the music. Did he work this stuff out on his bass or was he a guitar player also? Yeah, he played guitar as well. Yeah. Um, he was a great guitar player. He was a guitar player first. And uh -huh. then ended up switching to bass. I don't even know why. It was before I got involved. I mm -hmm. think him and Rob were kind of a team. Like when they were in high school, they they both played guitar. Yeah. And they're in a few different projects. They're in a band called Justified Cause. And they're in a couple things. And I don't know if it was something where Rob just didn't want to give up the guitar. So it's just him was like, <laughs> okay, I'll play no, you do it. kind of thing. Yeah. I think that could have been it. But um, <laughs> but for whatever reason... And, uh, you know, so, so Jim would write a lot on guitar. And mm -hmm. when I joined the band, I would go over to his house and he'd be sitting on the edge of his waterbed playing his guitar. And I'd come over, I'd bring my guitar and he would start showing me stuff. And then we'd start writing together. And I, I you know, learned so much from, from writing with him. And he was four years older than me, which isn't huge in the big picture, but when you're 17 and 21, yeah, that's yeah. like so you look up pretty big gap. Yeah. So like, it was really interesting to, um, 
learn from him and, and see how he constructed these songs. And, you know, I was a pretty good guitar player in my own respect, but I was a kid and I was just a metal dude. Like I could play like other stuff, but I was, I was, I wanted to be like Dave Mustaine and like Kirk Hammond and like that kind of shit, you know? So, so yeah. Jim taught me more on how to like arrange things, you know, songwriting wise and, and with the different chord structures, how to make the chords more interesting and how to also make a song pretty simple, but still make the song be what's first you know it doesn't need to have a million parts it can be mm. something that you know just in order to grasp the average listener you know make it something that people can digest so he, he he just had an amazing talent for songwriting and the shit just came to him so i was just like absorbing that you know just trying to take that in and uh yeah it was very very interesting but he wrote a lot of things on guitar and he would almost write the lyrics like it was almost like this free form sort of thing where he'd be playing it and the lyrics would just kind of start coming out of him and he'd be singing mm. it and playing it together. And he'd begin like caught up on himself because he's trying to sing it so fast and like <laughs> do it all at once. And he'd be like stumbling over himself. So he'd be like yeah. writing it down. And I was just like, holy fuck. Like wow. it's like spilling fuck, out of it. <laughs> yeah. Just spilling out completely. That's great. Yeah. So that, those were my early experiences, like going to his house, him showing me the songs and, um, and it was just like, wow, dude, this guy's like on another, he's on to something. And you wrote a handful of uh, these tunes as well. Did you just have melody ideas or like full songs ready to go? How did that all work out? Well, it's pretty much riffs. You know, I've always been yeah. like more of an orchestrator, like the arranger. And, um, you know, I can write some lyrics, but I don't feel like they're fucking great or anything. You know, Jim had a really good knack for that. And Jason has an incredible talent for that. Two very different styles of writing. Mm. But um, I think it was great to have those two lyrical sources, you know. But um, for me, it was like I came in with like, you know, so say Suburban here. I'm coming in. I wrote like a lot of the song Better Days, you know, like I came mm. up with the idea for it to start the way it does. I came up with the, the, the main riff. I came up with the verse. Um, I think we tweaked some things, me and Jim and, and Rob also, once we would take it to Rob and he would throw his parts in. And uh, But like Better Days, Gearbox, uh, Never Good Enough, like those those were songs where I brought the riffs to the table and said, cool, check out this arrangement. What do you guys think? And they were stoked on it, so we, we played it. And then Jason and Jim would, would come up with the lyrics and the melodies over what we arranged musically. Uh, so it's more and, of a collaboration. And that carries on today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very I like how you brought up Gearbox there because that song is just so ripping. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, well, that was certainly, you know, I mean, that if you listen to that song, it's got that kind of metallic guitar attack and, oh, and, totally. and stuff. And, and so that was certainly my contribution, you know. And so, I, you know, we would all do that. And I was influencing Rob through that. He was influencing me through his style. Jim was influencing me, you know. So we were all really feeding off each other and, you know, really just trying to, uh, you know, not be not really dumb ourselves down. Like some bands were incredible guitar players and drummers, but they wanted to play real basic punk rock mm. because they felt like that was punk rock. And we were like, that's cool. But like, we're just going to like try to shred this shit. Yeah. <laughs> we're just going to open it up a bit. <laughs> a lot more interesting. We've always wanted you know? to, we just like, we just want to play it like the edge of our ability sort of, you know, we, we wanted that then. And we still try to really, I think achieve that. And, um, that creates a situation where you then have to become that good you know like you're pushing yourself and you, you record something and then like, the occasion, yeah. like I gotta play now we have live to fucking now? do this you know now we have to now we have to live up to this shit so then that that's something but that that comes you know then then you reach that level you, you perform the songs you become that live and then you become the next level so hopefully your weaknesses you know become your strengths and then everything evolves and advances but um well just you know, the, the it, constant ever pushing yourself to the next level and if you don't you don't ever take that next step you're never going to get there so might as well just start early right 
Certainly, man. Certainly. You know, that was definitely it. So, and you know, and I was listening to a lot of Pantera and I was listening to like Raising Against Machine and, um, you know, shit like Mr. Bungle, like all <laughs> kinds, not even just punk rock, like all kinds of weird shit too. So, so, you know, we, we, we always try to put in like weird little things, you know, but, but Suburban is a very, when, when you look at the strung out catalog, it's a very pure, um, just one is very one dimensional and it's very juvenile in a lot of ways, but it's, it's just this pure little slice of like where we were and we just were fucking on 10, you know, for mm-hmm. that moment, we wanted to just create something that didn't even have dynamics, didn't even have fucking just like, because a lot of the songs we play them today and they're like, they're better, a little slower. And they like the parts feel better, a little groovier or something. But we were just like, fuck it. Like, just play it as fucking fast, fast just straightforward. And, you know, and, and even Ryan yeah. Green, who was like the adult in the room, he was the producer. <laughs> even he was like, just fucking go. Just go. Yeah. <laughs> so it's if dizzying, anyone would have but... like reined us in, it would have been him. But yeah. it was just like, for some reason, it was just like, that was our, that was our mode. So yeah, dude, it was, that was the intention going into it. And then the entire experience recording it was a whole nother thing. So. So you, you mentioned Ryan Green there. What was it like working with him? You know, you said he was the adult in the room, but like, did he have to bring you guys back a lot or like just, just, you know, unleash it, just go for it? It was, well, like I said, man, he was just like, go for it. Basically. There was no sense of like, um, restraining or re- rewriting this. Like we didn't do any pre-production with him. We had all the songs written and we kind of did, we demoed some. And I think we played Mike like a few on a demo and he was like, fuck, do it. You know, <laughs> so, we, so we did it. Sounds like and, Mike. uh, and Ryan was just like very um, cool, like super cool. I just remember working with him and he was a great dude, super positive, super like, yeah, it was fucking, you know, good times, like good, so good vibes right away. And uh, we went into this really crazy recording studio, a place called Rumbo Recorders, which is in the Valley. And Jordan knew someone that managed it at the time. Jordan's like famous for like knowing everybody, (laughs) working deals. I got a guy. So like, he, he got us into that place for like a good price, like the nice. same price as like we would be doing at like a small studio. So we were able to go into this super gnarly place that had like platinum records on all the walls and shit. So <laughs> we're like, fuck yeah, we're going to wow. make like a gnarly record. You know? Was that and, intimidating uh, Ryan, or anything like that? Or was that kind of cool? Uh, dude, not really. I was like ready for it. We were like, fuck yeah, like this is where we belong kind of, <laughs> ah, you know, nice. like that we, we're like, we just kept kind of seeing like the next step, you know, and like so, uh, another day in paradise did pretty good. Like when it came out, like it met our expectation for what we, we hoped it would do. So now it's like, okay, let's try to double that. Let's try to, let's try to take this record to the next level. You know, let's double our sales. Let's double everything if we can, you know, <laughs> and all the bands were doing that, dude, like the whole fucking thing. This was, you know, 95. So, Green Day and Offspring had just broke. Mm-hmm. You had Rancid breaking. You had fucking all these bands, you know, getting on MTV and radio, which we never thought any of our bands from our scene would probably do. And now it's happening to all these bands. So it was just like, who knew where it could go? You know, yeah. maybe we could get a song on fucking MTV. <laughs> the, the, the pop, it was really like realistically like a, it could be a thing. So we were just like, let's let's go into a good studio. Let's let's make the best record. And so we went in there with Ryan and just started tracking things. And um, I remember like you know running into some problems with the guitars, like recording the guitars, like tuning was always kind of like Ryan yeah, yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. Issue. So we'd go back and we'd redo them. Yeah. I just remember having to redo the guitars like fucking like two or three times. <laughs> you know, and, and, and I'm talking like, let's call this stage one of, of the recording. Okay, so stage one, we're at Rumbo. We're doing the guitars. We, we finally get them good. I think they're good. I've been busting my ass with this fucking metronome to try to play this shit because mm-hmm. it's so fucking fast. And even then, <laughs> I played probably half the songs on the record and I just let Rob do all the other songs because he was a bit faster at the time and just yeah. more commanding of his instrument. So... 
he did some tracks, just all him, you know, and some yeah. tracks I put my parts on and I was just like, cool, you know, finally we got the guitars done and all this shit. And then it just turned into a whole nother thing where like they wanted, we, I guess we ran out of time at Rumbo. So they wanted to go up to Northern California to like record the vocals at some studio up there, the, the Razor's Edge, which was where like no use for a name had done some recording up there. I think no effects did some recording. So a couple of guys go up there to do the vocals. I just stayed home. So I'm like, I don't need to go up there. I don't yeah. think, you know, so <laughs> those guys part. come back and, Right, yeah. I'm like, I'll be at home smoking the bong, listening to Mr. Bungle, fucking, <laughs> you know, dubbing VHS tapes. Like, that's what I do. And uh, so those guys go up there and they come back like a week later with like nothing done. <laughs> I'm like, I heard about like, that. Oh, we, we didn't get anything done. And I was like, just like all pissed off, you know, I was like, yeah. well, why the fuck? What? what? And there's like, dude, place haunted. It was crazy. I guess it was like, it's the place where Anne Rice wrote Interview with the Vampire and then this oh, really? old brownstone which is now that what was then the razor's edge so yeah. i guess like people were doing shit and, like the wedges the, the monitor speakers were like flying off the fucking board onto oh like God. the mixing board <laughs> that just crazy shit was going on so like they didn't get anything done i don't know if they were just doing drugs or what so they come back and we're like well we still got to finish that and basically the whole project was going long it was getting pushed behind schedule mm-hmm. at this point and ryan gets an offer to do Propagandi's uh, Less Talk More Rock at this point. Oh, and he's like, fuck, I, I want to do this record. And we're like, well, no shit, you want to do that yeah. record. But like, <laughs> you need to finish our record. Oh, and man. he's like, well, what if I get my buddy Max Norman to mix your record? And he was friends with Max Norman, who's a gnarly, gnarly metal producer from, like he did the early Ozzy Osbourne shit. Right. He did a bunch of Megadeth shit. He's done tons of things. And we were just like, well, wow, fuck yeah, Max Norman. That's a, okay, Let's cool, go yeah. for it. You go do Propagandi and we'll have Max mix us. So wow. we end up finishing the vocals with Max and, 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 and mixing it with Max. And But it just was kind of weird. Like, I love Max. He was an awesome dude and a fucking hero. But it just didn't really, it was weird, dude. Like, mm-hmm. like the mixes he was getting us just weren't really... It just didn't sound like what we were wanting. He, he was trying to mix us more like a shitty punk band or something, like some uh, like really low. He thought he was doing thing. what you wanted. He's trying to make it more raw, right? Yeah. yeah. Like all this reverb over stuff, like trying to give us like an 80s like punk sound. And it was like, whoa, that's just not working for this type of stuff. So <laughs> we kind of had Ryan come back in and then like, and then we ended up redoing the guitars again oh because for some reason they, they were like not even happy. And I like those early guitars and those early guitars are what are actually on our remix, uh, re-release for, of, of the record we put out like five years ago in our box set. Those are actually the original guitars. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. So I, yeah. guess, I guess the story goes like what someone knocked over like the PRS you guys were using in the studio. And, yeah. And it got yeah, like, broken or something. It like fucked up the intonation or, or tweaked the neck or something. So then, <laughs> yeah, cause the PRS is what we'd use for like a lot of the first tracks. Yeah. And then, so we ended up using this Les Paul and like some things like, Ryan just had an issue with some shit like not like being mm. intonated and mashing up right or being in tune, which shit today you would change in a second Damn with Pro Tools, <laughs> yeah. you know? This yeah, is shit yeah. you change in a fucking second today. Like, like what? Oh, there's no problem. It's all gone. Yeah. You know, problem. I got, I got a button for that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But that back then, dude, it was super like, analog and old school so we're like well let's do the guitars again so they brought in this dude who brought in this like preamp and like all this shit and like just didn't didn't even plug it into a speaker it's just going through like a speaker simulator so the guitars you hear (laughs) on suburban that's why they sound like a fucking hair dryer (laughs) it's a tom anderson guitar played through a marshall jmp1 preamp into some fucking speaker simulator and it just and i was like so bummed i was like rob you just play all the fucking guitars i don't give a fuck so (laughs) you don't even hear i don't even (laughs) I have like one or two little parts on the original 
tracking of Suburban, you know? Right. So I'm, I'm kind of like, fuck that record in a lot of ways, but like with the outcome of how it turned out, but going into it was like, the intention was like, let's make the gnarliest thing. And what we got back, like, you know, I, I think if Brian had actually followed the project through and mixed it, it would have sounded much better. It would have sounded more like the original idea, the original conception. It would have sounded more like Less Talk, More Rock, which is a fucking awesome sounding record, yeah. you know? Because I just remember getting, and then in our mastering, shit was weird on the record. So, like, and I think there's rumors that shit got, like, sped up on that record, which mm-hmm. I honestly can't even tell you yes or no, because once again, I was just a fucking kid. I was I was in the room, <laughs> but, like, I wasn't paying close attention. And I don't know if Jim and Rob actually went up to the dude and said, you know what, bump it up a few BPMs. Yeah. They may have. <laughs> I've read know? interviews with Jordan where he was like, hell no, that's me playing that. <laughs> right. Well, of course he wants you to think that. But, but it is, I think yeah, in reality, I can't be... I, the thing that makes me think maybe they did is when you try to play to it, mm. it's not in D... Uh, it's not in D standard tuning. It's slightly uh, above D. It's, it's like D... Almost D... It's not D sharp, but it's like, it's like 10 cents higher than D. So it's like... That happens when you speed up a tape, generally, yeah. you know, and especially if it's done something like, so I don't fucking know, dude, but the whole thing, when we got it back, it sounded so tinny to me, and just like, and then like Good Riddance record came out, um, the second one, what the fuck is it? Uh, that fucking second Good Riddance record, it sounds humongous, Operation you know? No, not Operation Phoenix. Uh, I forget, I'm sorry, guys, I'm sorry, Good Riddance. I can't fucking remember, <laughs> but it's a fucking great album, you know? Yeah. And then Let's Talk More Rock came out and fucking, it sounded huge. And our fucking album, I was just like, this sounds like fucking a oh, drum machine and a fucking hairdryer to me. So, yeah. so I was super bummed on like Suburban's outcome, you know? But then people right. love the record, you know? Like it got a great response. It's our highest selling record. Mm-hmm. People still today are like, fuck Strung Out's new shit, Suburban. Yeah. It's like, all right, cool. <laughs> I bet you were way cooler in fucking 1995 too, douchebag. Yeah. So, but, uh, you know, it's just one of those things where it's like we 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 you know we did our best, but it was just like fucking so many so many cooks in the kitchen on that record yeah. and shit at the end of the day. Passed through that a lot of hands. Turned out as it turned out the way it did, you know. But uh, but you know, I, I I love playing those songs. Those fucking songs, I think, are great songs. Like it's some of my favorite shit to play live for sure. Is a suburban album. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, I just have uh, I've got a few qualms with the actual sound of the uh, the famous product. So, Jake, you mentioned the reissue. Is is it true the reissue restores the old guitar tracks? Yes. Yeah, we got those back. We, we still had them. And we had uh, basically all the roughs. There were a few solos that we, we didn't have. So mm-hmm. we uh, we ended up using some of the, the lead tracks from the, 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 the I'm just calling them the, the second guitars. But, um, yeah, so we, we were able to do those. And the tuning issues that were whatever questionable at the time listening back 20 years later they were fucking not even really issues they were slight <laughs> and like i said the fucking yeah. magic button clean that shit up in a fucking <laughs> second right. so. so you know but so you can get to hear those original tracks you know that actually I'm, you can actually hear me on those tracks where on the final one the actual suburban that you know came out i'm, I'm on like one percent of the guitar tracks right. <laughs> so here's what it is man well it's good to finally have you on there thank you it's <laughs> fine to finally be on it after all these years <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. I guess like when you guys went to sort of reissue it, you couldn't find one of the reel-to-reels? Yeah, that's right. One of them. Because, dude, forever. We've been talking about remixing that thing forever, and we just never knew where the tapes were. They were like lost. (laughs) They were like these like fucking mysteriously lost tapes. And then Mike found them in a garage or in like some storage room that he had had all the early fat stuff in that he finally had um, dug some stuff out of. So they found them. So, But one of them, yeah, it was missing one. So that's right. It's missing the radio suicide. Uh, I believe it's radio suicide. Didn't have the the real. So what you hear as radio, that's the actual all completely um, 
what it, it's actually fuck. I don't know. Maybe we didn't read mixed radio then. I forget. <laughs> it's been a while. Yeah, but maybe radio. That's just the original version. Just the original. The rest are. Yeah, oh, that's cool. The rest are all done. I wonder where. Uh, yeah. I wonder where it ended up. <laughs> Yeah, exactly right. Did you guys check eBay? fucking doing lines off it somewhere. Yeah. But it's, it's out there, you know. But we finally got Ryan to finish the project and, and mix it. <laughs> so yeah. It came out in like 2013. So I'm going to tie two things in together here. Um, Jordan was a big influence, like I mentioned earlier. And you wrote uh, the, the Riffs to Gearbox, and that's just one of my favorite songs of all time. What was it like watching Jordan rip through some of these songs, you know, just as him being a drummer? And then yeah. into part B of this, what's it like in the contrast watching RJ play now compared to the two guys? Sure. Well, yeah, man. I mean, at the time, um, everything was just such a rocket, like in those days for us. We were just going straight fucking up. So, like, for me, it was going from being in, you know, in 92, I was playing with my friends in my high school band, just playing fucking bullshit, like Beastie Boys songs and stuff. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so, within a year, I'm in Strung Out, like, version two, which is with my buddy Brad, who was the best drummer, like, I had ever played with at the time. Yeah. He's, like, one of my good friends in town. And um, he got me in the band when they landed another guitar player. So, suddenly, to get into Strung Out and be playing with him was like, holy fuck, this music is gnarly. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to work my ass off to even, like, keep the gig. You know, just be able to, like, <laughs> like play the shit. So, you know, by the time we end up, he, he ended up quitting the band right before we went in to do another band, Paradise. So getting Jordan then in was now it's like, okay, here's another version of Brad, but he's even a little gnarlier. You know, like Jordan took what Brad was doing, but even he was a bit older. He was, I mean, Jordan was honestly the best fucking drummer in punk rock, period, in like 92, mm-hmm. 93, 94, 95. Like, I don't think Derek Ford from fucking Lagwagon was like right there. Mm-hmm. And Derek was better at some things, but Jordan had more power. He had mm-hmm. more, he was more rock. More blistering, there, was I think. About, there was something about Jordan that I liked better than Derek at the time, which is saying a fucking lot because Derek, I would get chills watching this fucking yeah, guy. Like phenomenal. watching Derek, if you do yourself a favor and just look up any lag wagon live footage from like 93, 94, mm-hmm. like, oh my God, dude. And yeah. most of most of them can't find the right angles. But when you're, when you're standing next to this dude watching, it was just fucking energy, dude. It's like explosion. So, and Jordan had that too. Jordan was a little bit older. He was a little more rock, you know, a little more like he was super into, to Neil Peart and, and, you know, but all, and like Tommy Lee, but he was also super like, you know, RKL and stuff. So Jordan was just, you know, soup things up even more to where now I was a bit more conditioned. I could play this stuff better. So when Jordan got in the mix, I was able to hang. I, I don't think I would have been able to necessarily hang going from like high school band to playing with Jordan. You know, I, I needed that Slow buffer, transition. You know, I needed that transition to get to him, and and yeah, dude, he was gnarly, and it was just insane to be playing with this like fierce energy in this band. You know, to be playing these fast songs, I remember just being like, "Holy shit!" Like this is fucking gnarly. And, you know, and yeah. at the time, just 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 being like, "Hey, like this is what we're gonna do." But um, and I forget what your original question was, but it was just like <laughs> insane. And oh, I guess contrasting with RJ, how RJ now, yeah. Yeah, it's actually very similar. It's very similar because with Jordan, I mean, I'm talking like the first five years of the band, I don't think anyone in the world could have touched him. Um, We got to a point where he sort of stopped maintaining himself and kind of like let age kind of get to him. So the bar came down significantly towards the last few years in the band to where getting RJ then, it was like gnarly. Like it was kind of that rebirth of like that initial energy we had with Jordan. But in some ways, gnarlier because RJ is more of a metal guy, even, and he's younger, and he's he's actually he was the same age when RJ joined Strung Out. He's the exact same age Jordan joined Strung Out. He kind of carries that torch now, almost. Yeah, yeah. 
So, and RJ is gnarly. Like the growth he's, what he's learned, like, what he's advanced in the year of being in the band, like yeah. from when we first got him to where he was a year later, was fucking gnarly. Mm-hmm. And he's the dude, what I love so much about him is he'll go in and just play his drums all day long. He'll go in the studio by himself. He'll, he'll go in there for five, six hours and learn everything he needs to learn and gets it perfect. So nice. like when we go into practice, we're not learning with him at practice. He's got it. You know, now we're practicing the parts we need to learn as a group instead of going, going in there and going, oh, hey, you're fucking this up. You got to learn, learn on this. You know, learn great. this better. Learn this different. So, yeah, dude, the fatigue is like gone. It's like just go in and fucking work. You know, there's, there's no like tuning the machine anymore. So that has been incredible. And, but you know, that happens with age and that just happens with, with anything. You know, you have to really, this is a very hard, intense form of music to play. You know, you're pretty much an athlete if you're if you're drumming, playing this type of music. You're, you're pretty much like an Olympic sprinter. So like, yeah. that's some shit to fucking. It's not for everybody. It's not something everyone can do. It's 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 you know somehow Jordan was able to like do that shit and create it, and it's completely fair and normal that he would you know have some decline in that ability. But um, unfortunately, when you when you're trying to still do this at a professional level, you you need to um, you can't really have any decline. So. Right, yeah, yeah it's, it's got to be the consistent pace, and if you're not there, then you've got to move on. Right? Yeah, 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 you know, I mean, it's got to be something to where the machine is, is, is operating correctly. And, and you know, so so that's where we are. We had to, you know, I love Jordan. I wanted to keep him in the band as long as possible, dude. You, you can ask probably anybody in our band or around us, and I was always trying to keep him motivated and trying to keep him, dude, just come practice with me, just me and you. Come, let's, let's go fucking jam. And it got mm-hmm. to a point where it just I didn't feel like he really cared, I guess. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of like, well, I guess I shouldn't care. You know, but, um, you know, I, 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 I always wish he would still play, you know, I wish the motherfucker could still be out there playing with somebody. So would he, would you say he like, kind of like didn't have the same passion as he used to kind of like one of I think he still loved being in the band, yeah. but he didn't really love the work that it takes gotcha. to do that shit. And honestly, dude, if I didn't love harder. playing, it does, dude, if I didn't play guitar fucking hours a day, every day, I wouldn't be able to pull the shit that I'm trying to do up there either. Yeah. You know, at my age, like it just happens, dude, and your, your, your muscles, things are changing. I need to play three to four hours a day to really maintain, wow. you know, and I'm trying to advance as well. But if I'm not playing shows, if I'm home for a month, if I don't touch my guitar, dude, it's going to be a fucking shit show. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I just the play that are gone and everything. Dude. Yeah. So that I just need to like, I, but I love it at the same time. I love it, dude. You can't get me away from it. You know, honestly, like my chick gets fucking pissed at me because I like won't stop. You know? <laughs> Put that so, thing down. Yeah, so it's yeah. one of those things. But it's just I, I found the one thing I like in this world. So was that happy. object Lucky in motion button. stays in motion? So you might as well keep playing, right? Totally, dude. That's it. And I think music really does that, and touring really does that. It, it keeps your love and, and keeps you face to face with the things that you love, and with the fans that support you, and with your dream of doing this. You're out there doing it, you know. So all those things are incredibly like invigorating, and um, they, they they mean the world to me. You know, it's so important. And that's another thing about like the time right now. It's so strange because we've had to postpone everything, just like everyone has. Yeah. And it's like, how do you now? What do I plan for? Like, it's right. the same struggle yeah. that everyone's having. Like, what how do I look forward to? For, yeah. How do we plan? How do we stay, you know, motivated? How do we, so that's why we're coming up with these other plans and new stuff. And cool. I've honestly been playing more this last two, three weeks than I have been in a long time. So I think I think us and a lot of other bands are going to come out of this fucking shredding. Like coming, <laughs> like like our next like like the first shows people start playing are going to be fucking gnarly. They're going to be energetic. Yeah, people are going to be ready, yeah. ready to go. It's going to be intense. It's going to be real intense. The art for this album has always intrigued me. Did uh, did Jason put this one together? I know he's an artist. He found that original 
uh, I think it's from the Life magazine, the original image, and then yeah. he added all the other things to it. And we actually, someone gets like 10% or like not 10%, 10 cents of every record we sell because the original artist that oh, did really? that, oh, wow. um, they, they ended up suing fat or something for oh, like no. rights to it. Oh, so we have getting settlement. They had to get like 10 cents a record for that record or something. So yeah, or it might not even be that much. It might be like a penny. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Play more than Spotify pays. We'll throw you but, something. Uh, yeah. But yeah, but yeah, he, Jason absolutely was doing all of our t-shirt art back then. He did our first album and then he did that album. And yeah, I, I remember getting that album being like, holy shit. Like when that came in the mail, I was like, this looks fucking rad. Like <laughs> yeah, the cover cool looks cover. so sick. I love the back cover. I love the inside. Like yeah. it was like, this feels like a real album. So know? I think on this album might be that first introduction of like that, that futuristic kaleidoscope looking logo that you guys seem to use quite frequently over the years. That's true. What's uh, what's yeah. the story behind that? Is that something you guys just like picked up on and kind of followed through and manipulated or is it? Like, well, the, the atomic it? symbol. Yeah. The atomic symbol, yeah. you know, that that's always been there. That was on the original cross logo, you know, the original strung out yep. up and down. I think I got that, a t-shirt there in the corner. So, so when Jason created that, he just kind of threw it in there. That was the first we ever saw it was just like, Oh cool. A little atomic symbol, you know? And then it, he, he included on the second record and then i think it wasn't until the third one when it actually became more stylized that he did it where mm. it's off-centered yeah. and it's asymmetrical you know so that became the astrolux that's that's our tweaked out version of your general you know atomic symbol so yeah that was just kind of him symbolizing the five of us coming together as the five elements in our chemistry and the combustiveness of it and gets a little deeper the, hopefully yeah and hopefully you know the the yeah everything that would go into our being that's super rad. Is he um does he get like a lot of input from you guys? He's like, Hey, what do you guys think? Like, what do you want on this cover? Like or does he just go for no. it? No. No, we never see shit, really. It just, <laughs> comes, it just comes in the mail. Once in a while. Like he would run things by me once in a while, but I was yeah. just like, Looks good, you know? And then yeah. like pretty much it's I'd say it's pretty much always like we we end up getting like the final product. But we're always super stoked on it, so it's never been yeah. like I you love know, hey, dude. album covers. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, I think covers. he does very really you know he's always got a cool vision for it and a, a really interesting take on you know the, the theme of the record and um yeah it's just we're really fortunate to have a guy in-house that can do that yeah. <laughs> and you know he's got such an incredible vision that we'd be hard hard pressed to find someone to to do that shit without him the cool thing is is they all look different like a lot of times if an artist does all the albums they kind of all look the same but sure. your album covers are like it's got like you know, toy dolls on some of them. It's got like this collage right. style on one of them. It's got yeah, man. Yeah, Secret just... of the Use on one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. His his <laughs> art style. When Jason does galleries and shit, it's pretty mind blowing. All the different stuff he does and the extent of it and the, the variety. You know, so it's yeah. We we've been very fortunate. There's never been a shortage of ideas going on for for our albums. The um the title combines the title of Bob Dylan's song "Subterranean Homesick Blues" and the phrase "Teenage Wasteland" from the song "Baba O'Reilly" by the Who. Which one of you guys came up with that? Yeah, fucking, that was pretty much Jason, too. I remember there was, like, a couple, like, rough titles for the record floating around when we were, like, recording it. Because mm -hmm. we, we didn't get that until, like, the record was done, then the, that title came. And it came from one of the songs. Like, I think, like, Radio Suicide has got that title yeah, in yeah, it. Yeah. So, because I think we were talking about, what the fuck? I, I can't remember, like, the early incarnations for the title. We had, mm -hmm. we had a few things. It could have been, like, Teenage Wasteland Blue. Or, no, it what the fuck? I just can't remember. I know I have this shit written down somewhere. Yeah. But um, somehow rejects. he just ended up, he, at the end of the day, he was just like, I want to call it Suburban Teenage Waste My Blues. And we're like, okay, cool. It's, you know, and yeah, it has kind of like that who theme, yeah. kind of, you know, but uh, but it's tweaked a little bit. And it kind of fit with, you know, the, the, the vibe of the record and stuff. And sure. We were all from Simi Valley, living in Simi Valley at the time, which is just a suburban 
shithole. So that's pretty much <laughs> what, uh, what, you know, that was kind of the theme, I guess. So it's, it's funny. But I remember there was an earlier title. I wish I could recall it. But that would happen a lot. We would end up kind of having yeah. an early title. And oh, then man. Trying to name a record else. is not an easy task. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. And, you know, you can have a ticket after a song sometimes. Sure. You can have a title fact. But, yeah. but, but you know, the first, first record, Another Day in Paradise, we've never had a song called that. Suburban mm-hmm. Teenage Wasteland never had a song called that. Twisted by Design. I don't think we have a song called that, right? So, uh, like, I don't think so. We, we, we've almost always had titles named after something that wasn't a song. Yeah. You know? Jason's got a lot of creativity, so we're lucky in that. Well, hey, man, thank you so much for uh, chatting about this record with us. You guys got it, man. Thank you so much yeah. for handing me up. I appreciate it. It may not be uh, one of your sonically favorite records, but <laughs> I don't know. You, you know, know, being a uh, 15, 16-year-old kid in, in 95, 96 and just hearing those, like, those guitars and um yeah you know this record for 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 the boss but i think i speak for craig when i say this just it was unique absolutely you guys had a yeah. different sound than thank say you. lag wagon and no use you know thank you and i think at the end of the day for all my critiques and all my shit talking on it it does stand outside of it stands alone you know it is mm-hmm. its own kind of unique thing in our catalog and in the overall fat records catalog it's, yeah you know so it probably did you know so you know i, I should be a little easier on it <laughs> it stood out my, it stood out yeah yeah i mean oh, thank you. I did the fact you guys are, are still kind of the fact anyone loves that record to me is the fucking best thing in the world and i will do everything in my power to play it as good as possible for you <laughs> that's awesome man i mean jed and i have been friends for like 30 years now and we grew up on this album together you know passing it back and forth and i think you know it was one of the albums we bonded with back in high school so it definitely hits, us, so in a, hits us in a good spot you know <laughs> well that rules man that's so cool well thank you guys for, for appreciating it man that really means a lot thanks so much thanks, all right man. <laughs> all right guys no all right Jake. Oh, thanks so much thank you man all right guys have a good one thanks, cool. thanks jake take care see ya Craig, I want to know, how did you get into Strung Out, or when was the first time you heard Suburban Teenage Wasteland Blues? Oh, man. You know, I honestly can't remember the first time I heard Strung Out. <laughs> no. I know, I, I definitely know when you used to make those mixtapes in high school, Strung Out was definitely on them. Oh, yeah. But um, as far as like albums go, I think I actually heard of Strung Out through, um, their, was it the second album or the third album? It'll be their third, yeah. Twist, Twisted no, Twisted by, by Design. Design. I heard yeah, Strung Out yeah. from Twisted by Design first. Mm-hmm. And then I started going back through the catalog. So Suburban uh-huh. Teenage Wasteland Blues was the after I've already heard about them. So I went back and checked this out after hearing, you know, the other one. And uh, it just I've been, been hooked since. What drew you to the band? I think it's just the the blistering pace, the fast tempos, mm-hmm. you know, the drums. Jordan Burns was definitely uh, a mentor of mine growing up. I used to model a lot of my drumming after him. And. Dude is just a machine. The machine, you know, he's great. And then <laughs> the vocal harmonies, the guitar riffs. I think just the how intricate the guitar is always stand mm-hmm. it out to me. You know, just yeah. blazing. I first discovered Strung Out on the survival of the fattest compilation that was released in 1996. A friend had lent me the comp after I had gotten to know you for a name, and I was just blown away by all the great stuff on it. I loved High Standards' cover of California Dreamin' and the energy of the snuff tunes. I thought the German song sung by Wizzo was neat. But, you know, along with No Use, I was mostly impressed by this disorientingly fast song called Rotten Apple. I was never into, like, metal. You know me, Craig. I was never a metal guy. I know, I know. Yeah. You got that Um, from me. (laughs) But I didn't even know, like, people could play that fast. So I quickly picked up the album, the Strung Out uh, album. And, again, I was so impressed by how fast and exciting the band sounded. And, you know, they still managed to hold on to like that melodic sense. You know, it wasn't just like blistering fast tunes, like incoherent 
it was really melodic and you know none of that stuff got lost at the uh you know 500 miles per hour pace that they were oh setting. absolutely not i mean just the intricacies alone of the guitar was just mind-boggling and how they can handle all that yeah good stuff good good guitar good good drum you know interplay and it was just really really great record you and I quickly bonded over this band. Uh, my developing love of punk at the time and your appreciation of metal offered us a chance to, you know, really bond over this particular band. You know, now that I think back about that little saying you just said there, I'm pretty sure you came to me with this one of their albums and said, dude, you got to check this <laughs> band out. You're going to love it. I th- yeah. Now that it's starting to come back to me a little bit, I think that's how I remember it was crystal clear. Yeah. I bought, when I got Twisted by Design, uh, the band's third album, I remember pulling you over in a parking lot to make you listen to Reason to Believe off that record. Do you remember that? Uh, yeah, it's coming back to me now. Yeah. I, I'm like, you got to hear this song. Because <laughs> it was just loud and like, you know, Jason is screaming and it's just, it was so heavy and it was, oh, it was just amazing. <laughs> All right. You ready to break this thing down track by track? Let's get into it, man. All right. First song, Firecracker. When that incredible bass line comes in and you hear Jordan just tapping on those cymbals, it's really hard not to get excited. <laughs> oh, man, I just love the way this song opens up. Like you're saying, there's like that jangly bass feeling and then the yeah. hi-hats ringing around. And then the guitar starts in and the pace picks up just a little bit. But then suddenly everything drops back out again, except for Jason and Jim's and Jim's bass. Uh, when it picks up again, it's like at rocket pace. <laughs> Yeah, there's something about that jangly bass line that goes through and then it drops out, like you're saying, and then comes back in and just it smacks you like a wall. It's like, boom, let's go. We're ready. Yeah. Sets the tone right here. By the time Jason gets to the line, I'll never bow to your expectations. I never have. I never will. Figurehead, I'm a man of my own free will. The pace of this record reaches an incredible speed. In the first song. (laughs) (laughs) I can actually recall like the first time I tried to read along with the lyrics in the CD booklet. And I honestly, Craig, like got lost. <laughs> See, if you try to read along to the lyrics while you're listening, you're not going to comprehend the lyrics. <laughs> no, not at all. They're, they go by so fast. Oh, it's yeah. Like, what, what was that? You know, it's a song about a messed up system of the draft and, you know, fighting in wars. Uh, wars are, you know, perpetrated by governments, not young kids. And those are the, you know, those are the ones who go off to, to fight in these wars. Jason remarks, well, I laughed out loud, said I won't comply to be labeled as one of those who qualify to be shipped off to fight some fucking war. It's funny how this song still resonates today. You know, even like the quote right in the middle of it, like how much power is ever enough for the men, the men on Capitol Hill? Mm. I mean, maybe even Mm -hmm. more so today that it resonates, you know, like, oh, my God, these guys have so much power. Isn't that sad that it still is so meaningful so many years later? <laughs> it is. But you know what's funny, though, is back in high school, I wasn't really political. I mean, I knew I had to enlist for the draft at 18. But, mm-hmm. you know, going back and listening to the lyrics now, it's it's pretty eye-opening how they portrayed it. Yeah, definitely. All right, next song, Better Days. I love the squealing guitar accents in the intro to this song. Hmm. Jake and guitarist Rob were able to get some incredible tones and harmonics out of their guitars. 
you know, with the right strumming patterns, palm mutes, and all kinds of things I probably don't even really know about. <laughs> oh, man. The guy knows how to work the guitar, you know? This is such a ripping tune. And like you're saying, all that guitar work in it, I mean, this is like just bleeds, you know, strung out so particular style. That's great. Just like really quick wrist, you know, like palm mutes and like, I don't even know. Like they just, they just get like incredible sounds. Yeah, it's it's great playing. too. And, and it keeps you bopping too. It's not just like, oh my God, this is so intricate <laughs> and so blazing. But like you're sitting there and you're like, you know, cranking your head back and forth because it's still poppy and, you know, bopping around. Better Days is a, is a song about, you know, feeling beat down by the world and trying to make a difference. Jason sings, always a dollar short and one split second out of time. Exiled in a memory tonight. I'll drink, drink myself to sleep. Mm. I'm just part of all the madness. Here I know that anything I say or do won't ever change a thing. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah, definitely. Definitely like you said about getting beat down, trying to catch yeah. a break. You know, looking for tomorrow for something new. But right. uh, maybe that's the definition of insanity. Doing something the same way, <laughs> expecting a new result the next time. Yeah. Well, know? But hey, it's what gets them by, right? Yeah. But it's, it can be really frustrating, you know, when it feels like life keeps handing you lemons. It's easy to get discouraged, I guess, and to, to give up. You know, but there is one line, though, that says, you know, I'll take my chance when tomorrow. So, I mean, he's, he's looking forward to tomorrow, you know. So, I mean, there's a... A little bit of optimism to the pessimism. Yeah. Looking for those days where he's just, you know, doesn't feel he's just being swept away by the harshness of, of reality. Hmm. All right. Next song, Solitaire. So here I sit outside of all alone with all my thoughts. I did not mind if this was on. I think about what I said to you when you finally decided to come my way. So, Craig, this song always intrigued me a little with its mention of being tied up and cat o' nine tails. I don't know what that particular phrase <laughs> means, but um, there's a couple of different options you can go with this song. Yeah, you know, when I was a teenager, I, I didn't know anything about, you know, bondage or why <laughs> someone would want their lover to beat the snot out of them for pleasure. Yeah. I mean, I still don't. <laughs> I like my love and, you know, soft and polite. I had never heard a song like this when I first heard it. And I remember trying to closely read the lyrics and, and understand it. So you think this song is about bondage? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I thought it was. Then someone told me it was about drugs. And, you know, then I just got super confused. All I really know is that this song is super melodic. And for me, it's definitely one of the standout tracks on an already spectacular spectacular album. But Craig, I don't know. Cat or Nine Tales, Bondage, Drugs. What do you think? Let, let me let me throw a couple th- I theories at you, okay? All right. So the first thing would be, he's singing about his solitaire. What is a solitaire? It's a diamond in the rough, right? Okay, yeah. Okay. So maybe he's singing about a girl who he thought was his solitaire. He puts him through so much pain, but he can't mm. bring himself to let her go. That's, mm-hmm. that's theory one. Then the second one, you, you hit on it a little bit earlier, was about drugs. Yeah. So what if this song is about a heroin addiction? Hmm. All right. Let, let, me, let me read a couple of lyrics to you, and I'll, I'll let you ponder about that. Right. So here I sit all tied up, all alone with all my thoughts. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. I hurt myself again today, feeling a little numb. I could use the pain. Yeah. There's another one here. I don't know how much more I want to take, but I know when you shoot me down, I'll bury me before I get too high. Mm-hmm. And then the last one I got is like, when will I learn to walk away from the things I do to make me feel this way, the feeling I feel when I'm with you. He's talking about his drugs, I think. 
I think so. Yeah, it kind of sounds like that. It sounds like maybe, you know, he's a glutton for this punishment, but could like the pain, you know, be the drug use? Yeah, the, the drugs. You're right. Or the pain of going through withdrawals and he needs the pain, you know? Mm-hmm. I hurt myself again today, feeling a little numb because he's, you know, he needs, the, needs it. I could yeah. use the pain, you know? I don't know. It's, I guess it's open to interpretation. Could be. I mean, the song's called Solitaire. And, you know, what do we know about Solitaire? You were mentioning your theory, but. Solitaire is also a game that you play by yourself. <laughs> oh, isolation, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, he's alone, battling his drug addiction, maybe, and that feels like an abusive relationship. Oh, yes. That, you know, he has requested. Yeah. I don't know. I could be way off, but I, I have fun breaking down these songs. And maybe it's definitely fun hearing different perspectives and how they come back to, you know, to yeah. a, a common ground and then they go off to other tangents. Yeah, it's it's cool breaking this stuff down like this. Maybe it means something totally different, but to we me, these, all these theories could be, could be, could be dead on. But yeah, but it's a super catchy song. I always love this song. You know, track three, it's it's catchy. It's got a great rhythm. It's got those cool, it's got those cool octave guitar lead lines. It's just a cool song. All right, next track, never good enough. All right, so Jed, never good enough. I'm going to piggyback off the last song just a hair. And right. uh, maybe the last song wasn't about his heroin addiction, but mm. about the girl he's into. It's about her drug addiction and mm. her her mm. views on society and life and stuff like that. Because yeah. when, you, when, you, when you go through it, it kind of sounds like he's in love with a girl. And then her life is just filled with drugs and disdain. And, you know, oh, yeah. you know, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm reading too deeply into it, but. No, I think you're on to something. It's a, it's a great song. I think it's just another in a long line of songs where someone feels taken advantage of by someone else. Yeah. He sings, I'll be your fool just one more time. Be waiting by the phone because I don't know and I don't care. I'll do anything she wants. Never good enough for you. Mm-hmm. The gal is obviously independent, maybe a little selfish. She knows just what she wants and she don't need nobody anyway are two lines from the song. And for some reason, he's devoted to her regardless. And of course, by the end of the song, we discover that the needle and the spoon and the bottle and the pills are going to make you feel all right, which means that she's definitely into drugs. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. A real mess, but for some reason, he he stays with her. Yeah, you know, she's the solitaire, the diamond in the rough. Could be the same person. It could be, or couldn't be. All right, the next track is Gearbox. We talked about this song on the Talking Records bonus episode where we made that mixtape. Oh, yes, we did. So we'll try not to repeat ourselves too much here. But oh, I, don't know. I could gush over this song all day. It's just such a great song. I mean, this song for me is the cornerstone or one of the I don't think you can have more than one cornerstone, but it's one of the you know the pillars of this record. I love this song. This song, by far, hands down, my favorite song of all time by any band ever. Yeah. It's Hence so why good. we I, chose it for the mixtape episode. I just want to hear like an isolated drum track, like just the drums on this song and just listen. 
It's what great. an incredible piece of, of drumming on this. You know, lyrics aside, I think this whole song is just, it's blazing. It's got the guitar riffs. It's got that blistering tempo. It's just, it's so good and so fast. Oh, just musically, it's, it, it's makes, it makes me, <laughs> makes me just get all giddy inside. Yeah. It's a song about coming to grips with someone who treated him unkind and has now left. It's about picking yourself up and trying not to fall into further depression or anger. It's certainly a song everyone can relate to obviously bitter about a breakup with an ex and he's now trying to come you know get through his life and get back to it maybe he's a stronger person because of it in an effort not to repeat ourselves too much we're gonna encourage you to go listen to the talking records mixtape 90s punk rock mixtape episode and learn a little bit more about gearbox from suburban teenage wasteland blues we're gonna move on to monster This is just one of many songs on this album that just takes off at a million miles per hour. Mm. It's it fits the mold of the, the album. After some hammering bass and vocals, it just takes off. I mean, it's like <laughs> it's so fast. It's so fast. It amazes me that these guys can pull this stuff off live. I mean, I don't know how they do like a forty-minute set of just playing songs this fast. I mean, when we talk to Jake, he you know he. He alluded to the fact that they've slowed things down a little bit live, but it's still fast. Even slowed down, this stuff is fast. Well, he did, you know, admit to the amount of time that they practice, that they they're always in there trying to better themselves. Yeah. And if yeah. if they're not playing a show or doing something else, they're trying to say, What can I do better now? What can I do better now to yeah. make this song to the next level? They're always looking to push right. the envelope. And I think that's awesome. And so I think it shows with their whole history, you know, just of them progressing and, you know, album after album, that's always rocking. Yeah. I mean, they they have to practice. They'd have to practice this because there's no time to think. I mean, there's no time in this music to think. I mean, especially lyrically. The mm. songs are so fast that the songs actually tend to have a lot of lyrics in them. I mean, he's saying a lot of stuff in these songs. He's got to remember all of this stuff at this rapid pace. I don't know. Maybe it's not hard for him, but it would be, it'd be impossible for me. <laughs> my brain does not care what anyone thinks. It's going to you know, take its sweet ass time. I even think you admitted Thank in a previous much. episode how uh, <laughs> you would sing lyrics of yourself of other things that were not about the song in a show live. My mind would just go blank. It would just go blank. And I'd be like, well, I don't even remember the first line of the song. So I'd have to. I mean, you can't, you can't stop a song up on stage and be like, I can't remember the words. You just have to go with it. Jason fires out at one point, the decisions that you cast affect the outcome of your game. The only person who's going to think about you is the one that's standing in your shoes. Mm. It's definitely a song about taking care of yourself. And after you've had a couple rough, you know, relationships in the previous songs, you got to take care of yourself. Pick yourself up yeah. and move on. Who's the monster? You or the other person? Fittingly, the next track is called Bring Out Your Dead. Oh, I love it. Let's go. Bring out your dead. <laughs> but I love the intro to the song where they just get that super crunchy, like low, dirty distortion. Yeah, it's it's pretty cool. I think this is another one of my favorite songs of all time. Not yeah, just by Strung one. Out, but just in general. I just love the flow. You know, it's just 
different compared to the other songs in this album, but it's different without derailing the album flow. And I think, yeah, you know, the vocal patterns and for a lack of better term, the chugginess of the melody of the song. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's, it's great. And not to mention the intricacies of the guitar work. It just right. stands out. They just had this like really unique sound to the guitars. And when we were talking to Jake, he was talking a little bit about the guitar work yeah. and the, the many things that went wrong. But regardless of how it came out and what it sounds like, it definitely gave this record a super unique sound. And I remember that was important because you had all those bands on Fat Records and Epitaph right. that were putting out amazing albums, you know, in 95, 96, 97. And this record stood out just because it sounded a little different. You know, it had that that guitar tone. It was unique. The guitars had almost a like a thinner sound and I feel like it sat really nicely on top of the bass and drums. It's the one it's one of the things that set this record apart. Yeah, it's it's great too. It just it got a different feel. Like I'm I'm going to keep pressing on that different feel, but it's not so different that it's out of their style different. It's just Right. Oh. I don't know. We could sit here and gush all day about Strung Out. We could, couldn't we? <laughs> we could easily. <laughs> I read the song as a song about relationships and connections that are severed over things like, you know, maybe drug addiction or maybe other things that can often consume people, depression, alcoholism. Jason sings, just another slave to my vices now. My addiction, my illness, my only trusted friend. Ooh. My addiction, my illness. Repeats it, huh? Yeah, the song is just full of great lines like that. I really like Jason's style of mixing some of these, you know, melancholy images with darkness and mystery. It almost has like an Edgar Allan Poe feel to it. You yeah. Know? Yeah. I love the line voices wither and crack, then die ringing in my ear would sing me soft asleep. Deathly silence. Now is all I hear as inspiration finally eluded me. Oh no. Is he going down a hole? It's pretty badass. Yeah. I like it. All right, next track, Rotten Apple. Rivers of pain map your aging skin, your expression a journal. All your dreams and your chances lost, you walk along that dotted line. It's a ripping fast song about an old friend, someone who is maybe getting on in years. The story of this person can be read in the way they carry themselves, the years etched in their face. Maybe Jason is looking at this person wondering if he'll turn out the same. I don't understand how Jason Cruz sings this song at such a fast pace. I know. There's so many complex words in this song. It's amazing. I know. There's some big words in it. And he just it's strings fast. it along. It's like, boom. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Here you go. And he, and he effortlessly. like oh, effortlessly like yeah it's amazing <laughs> i mean he's he's singing really fast he's singing great lines at one point he sings do you remember a time when you used to dream do you remember a time when you used to live and i'm thinking maybe it's really too late for that person you know the young vibrant person is now just this old sad and lonely person oh, and that's where i get like okay. the rotting apple image from you know like yeah that connection and i love the way the guitar lines travel higher as they squeal out i always tried to to do that and I, I could never hit i could never hit it <laughs> i mean it just goes to show you how much of an influence they were in our own songwriting abilities definitely moving on to radio suicide so jed this song man and I'm sure I've said this word before, but blistering. 
This yeah. song is just blistering. I mean, you're a guitar player. What's it like yep. to play a song like this at such speeds <laughs> with intensity, going from palm mutes to open chords and then right back into it? It's like, chugga, 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 blah, blah. I'm not even I'm a, I'm a slow moving machine, man. I just, <laughs> man. And I've been told my playing is fast, but I feel like. I feel like a like a steamroller compared to what Jake and Rob are doing. Oh my goodness! It's like every song after another is so blazing fast, and then this one just right to it. But the yeah. palm mutes too, and I don't like. Can you palm mute that fast without you know messing it up? This, that's got to be difficult. I mean, I'm not a guitar player. I'm just it's a skill. It's a picturing skill. it, you know. Yeah, and to do it in the studio, like under the microscope of you know recording it, it's just wow. Right. It's it's really. I mean, it's impressive. It's impressive. But uh, is this, would you consider this the unofficial title track of this album since they make mention of the album title? They do reference the title of the album in this song. You're right. Two silhouettes stand tall against a gray November sky, utopian, suburban, teenage, wasteland blues. There it is. (laughs) I think it's a song about the effect that music can have on a person. As a voice sings songs of splendor from the radio, I hear that voice again submerging from the stereo. Invisible electric life flows right through me. Then for a moment, I forget about just where I'm at and the world fallen around loses all urgency. Oh, interesting. Pretty cool. I mean, definitely. I mean, music is has that power. I, I kind of took it in a different meaning, and I don't even know if my meaning would be accurate. But yeah, well, I, I, could pick it. I mean, it's nothing crazy about the radio suicide. I mean, would you think about, you know, listening to all the songs on the radio in your room? is going to drive you insane to the point where you would think about suicide because all the songs mm. are so mundane and about the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. So it's a critique of like top 40 radio, you think? <laughs> well, that's the way I was going, yeah. If I hear this song again, I wish that was what, <laughs> what this song was about. I don't I don't know. I, it's probably not. I, I've certainly been there, Craig, you know, like stuck with just the radio on in my car, yeah, contemplating it, can't some do sort it. of radio suicide. But, <laughs> I mean, obviously, it's it's about probably many things it's it's probably a a mix because i don't know i don't know what the term radio suicide means i mean i i I think it's about how music hits you but i don't i don't really get i don't really understand the phrase radio suicide i'd have to have the songwriter explain that to me and you know one thing i hate doing is asking someone who wrote a song here what's your song about so i think it's open to interpretation i think your interpretation is is probably correct my interpretation could be correct too i mean i don't know yeah, I mean, just the the end of the song, they, they they make mention of, you know, the signal takes control of the heartbeat. You know, you hear the words reverberating in your mind, you know, twisted electric waves, you know, as a voice screams. It doesn't sound like they're particularly talking about themselves. They're talking about what they're mm. hearing and feeling and, mm-hmm. you know, forget everything you see in here. It's just another radio suicide. Mm. I mean, I, I guess it could be taken any particular way. Definitely. All right, let's move on to Somnambulance. This is a song about sleepwalking, or at least not being able to sleep. A million seconds has passed me by in my bed. One, two, three, now it's four in the morning as the emptiness swallows me. One more time, I grow a little older. With every second that passes, I die a little every time I close my eyes. Not being able to sleep is the worst. I'm going through that right now. I'm sure we can all relate to some type of insomnia. It's just, it's horrible. I hate it. Yeah. Yeah. 
I think a lot of people at this at this current juncture are stressed out, you know, with the whole coronavirus thing. But just in general, not being able to sleep oh, is just torture. I don't think I've had a good night's sleep in seven years since my kids were born. <laughs> Somebody's always got to get up and pee. Somebody's got to get yeah. something to eat. Somebody needs a glass of water, drink of milk. And the and sound of daddy yeah. makes you shudder. Yeah. yeah. And then I can't fall back asleep, you know, three in the morning and you're just laying, laying there looking at the ceiling like, crap, what do I do? Well, you you wake up and then your mind starts going. You start yeah. thinking about stuff. You start thinking about what you have to do that That's day. Exactly you start thinking what about is. what happened yesterday. You start thinking about the work you got to do. Or, and Yeah, then you start stressing yourself out about everything else. Yeah. But, That's uh, tough, man. <laughs> you know, another meaning of this song, you think it could be about PTSD? That when he goes to sleep, he's worried about what he's going to dream about? Could be. Could you know, be. You know the, the fears of something traumatic happening in the past that always comes out in his sleep. Sure. You know, kind of like, I don't know, I'll reference the old, old Ghostbusters cartoon, you know, where the Sandman comes in and, you know, gives you bad <laughs> dreams at night as a kid. I'm glad you slipped Ghostbusters in there, man. <laughs> I got it. I just like the way this song chugs along. It's a little slower than the others, but yep. doesn't lack in intensity. The palm muted guitars sound crunchy and the drums sound heavy. Jordan's usually pounding along so fast. It's actually kind of nice to hear him just rocking on the straightforward beat a little bit. Guitarist Rob comes in with that rad solo. I love the solo in this song. And it must have been nice just to have, you know, a slower song to solo on, you know, a slower song to kind of keep a beat to. All the songs are so fast. Would you really call this a slow song now? Well, I wouldn't call it a slow song, but compared to the rest of these right. tracks, okay. I mean, this is it's like a... Just enough where it doesn't derail the album. Yeah, it's, just, it's a different pace. It kind of it kind of slows things down, but still fast, but slower. <laughs> it's a, a slow, fast melodic tempo. It's a slow, fast. <laughs> <laughs> we are music scholars, Greg. I am not a music scholar. I don't even know how I made it so long playing the drums. All right, let's move on to Six Feet. This song just rips through and is pretty straightforward. There's not a whole lot to it. I mean, I like the accented parts where Rob and Jake are doing quick palm mutes as Jordan switches up the beat. It must have taken a lot of practice to nail those. And of course, like we mentioned earlier, in the studio under the microscope, it must have been, they must have done that. I mean, who knows? Maybe they nailed it in one try. I mean, we're sitting here as amateurs saying, well, that must have been really hard, but it's really cool. And it's, it's really a neat thing when you hear it on record and, they just do that stuff seemingly flawlessly. They just really had to be locked in. Uh, it must have taken a lot of practicing and just playing together and being on the same wavelength, you know? Oh, yeah, definitely. This is a song about a person in a rut who gives themselves over to faith, hoping that their belief in God will be enough to justify their actions. Jason sings, Now he spends his days preaching what he does not believe to a world that's forgotten how to live. And he can't understand the empty feeling inside that seems to grow every hour, every day. He spends all his time working, slaving away, living amongst the dead. All right, the next song is Speedball. I hope people are starting a drinking game with this episode because the amount of times that I've said this one word 
But oh, no. damn, this song is blistering. Ah, drink. <laughs> Social. <laughs> it just I hope people are drinking along, Craig. I really I, I expect it, but it just yeah, rips. it's fast. Blistering song, the tempo. It's oh my god. It just charges through. I love this. I mean, this is the whole reason I love this album is just the tempo and the intensity straight through. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. With, with the exception of the couple songs we mentioned that were a little slower, but they fit the feel and the whole theme of this album. They're all so fast. <laughs> they're so fast. <laughs> and they're great. I mean, they're melodic. They're fast and they're melodic. This one has this like rising guitar line that just builds intensity. So they're fast. They're melodic. They're intense. I mean, you feel these songs. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. There's no way that you cannot feel these songs as they're being played. This one is a song about watching someone's unfortunate descend. You've come this far doing what you do, so why change now? You're doing fine. I'll candy coat another rhyme for you. You're on a speedball, and it's going straight to hell. And I don't want to get in your way. You're on a rocket, and it's going straight down. You've lit the fuse, set the fire. Now there's no one left to save you. Boy. I like the uh, the, the line, a one-way trip to Candyland. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's talking to someone who's clearly made a mess of things. Uh <laughs> And, you know, just seems to be plugging away like, you know, one of those people that like, you know, like those those people that drive you crazy, like they make a mess out of everything and they make so many problems, but they're still just kind of putting along, you know, yep. like how, they, how are they, you know, and everything they touch just turns to dust. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the cool thing about this song is at the end, it, you know, they really layer in some cool vocal harmonies, which you don't really think about with strung out harmonies and, and vocal harmonies, but they have some actually really good harmonies on this oh, record. Yeah. I will say, though, if you listen to the reissue of this album, you hear a lot more harmonies and guitars that I never heard on the original release. Yeah, they definitely brought the vocals up on the, the remaster. The final track on this record is Wrong Side of the Track. This is probably my favorite song on the album. What a great, great closer. It's so melodic, and I love the descending backup vocal lines in the chorus. The best part is the second half of the song, when they repeat a small section from the bridge, and they do it four times. And I feel like it just climbs up, building this great intensity. It honestly, Craig, makes the hair on my neck stand up every time I hear it. You know, I've never listened to it in that aspect of as a guitar player. I mean, I always listen to things as a drummer, and I like mm-hmm. the way it starts with the drums, bop, 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 So I, I focus more on that. I never really paid attention to the the way that you just described the four tracks repeating themselves. Listen to it; it's really cool. There's this one part in the bridge, but what they do is they bring it back, and they just for some reason they repeat it four times, but it like fits perfectly. Like it doesn't throw off the tempo of the song or anything. Yeah, and it's just a really neat way to you know, bridge the song. And you and I have talked about this, uh, you know, about strung out. They always throw in these like neat little parts. Uh, there's a, there's a song off of agents in the, the underground where they do it and they just, they create these really cool parts that don't make any sense, but they, they just work and they sound awesome. Oh, absolutely. I think uh, going back to even twisted by design, there's one song on there that I know you said you hated. 
Oh, I wouldn't say hated. But oh, I, I don't hate any song. By There's one song they said you didn't like as much as the others. And I said, this is my favorite song off the uh, album. Oh, because yeah. of the, in the middle, it's got this like really metally guitar breakdown and dun, 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 yeah. chugs. So yeah, like they throw different things in here and there. And it just goes on throughout all their albums. And I, I love the way that they fit different randomness in it. It just flows. You're talking about what, Iceburn? I think it's Iceburn. Yeah, pretty sure. <laughs> I like that song, man, but I got to be honest. It's not one of my favorites. Oh, I think it's my favorite song in that album. But anyway, <laughs> we're not talking about Twisted by Design. Agree to disagree. All right. <laughs> anyway, this one's great. I This is probably my favorite song on the album. I just love it. It's it's a super strong song to end a fantastic record. It zooms by. It's got those great melodic chorus vocals. It's just awesome. And it ends and you're like, phew, what an amazing record. <laughs> Let's go back and start it all over again. Let's put it on again. So like with an album like this, how would you like even think about doing a track order? Because every song is a, a blazing song. Every song just mm. rocks in its intensity. And like, yeah. how do you set the order? You, I don't feel like there's any clear cut way other than maybe that's piggyback off of songs that, you know, kind of fit, you know, a theme of some sort. Yeah, that's a really good question. Cause any, I don't know if try like uh, put it on shuffle. Does any other order really work as well? I mean, it'd be interesting to try that out. Yeah. See how the flow of the record goes when you, when you mix it up. Yeah. Cause you called this song a great closer, but could one of the other songs be a great closer? Like I could see mm-hmm. bring out your dead being a great closer too. Mm-hmm. You know, and the record with all that shouting. Yeah. <laughs> all right, Craig, let's close this thing down. Let's do it. Strung Out set out to record the fastest record they could make, and boy did they succeed. Suburban Teenage Wasteland Blues is fast and intense and races by at a frantic pace. But Strung Out also succeeded in making a very listenable, very melodic record with memorable songs. It'd be one thing to just make a fast record, but they made one with intensity, one with instantly likable songs, combining punk and a little metal, the band set out to distinguish themselves from the other bands emerging in the mid-90s. You and I, Craig, bonded over this band and still continue to to this day. Oh, yes. We've obviously bonded over a lot of bands, but when we threw this one on, or any of their records for that matter, I knew we were getting the best of what I liked and the best of what you liked. You've always said that Jordan Burns is one of your favorite drummers, your mentor, yep. and I've always been blown away by the quickness of Rob and Jake's guitar playing and Jason's dark lyrics. It's the ultimate connection band for us, I feel like. Yeah, it definitely crosses a lot of bridges in our musical tastes, you know, from the pop punk to the metal and, you know, anything in between. It comes together in this album, in this band in general. It's a classic. Yeah, and I I will say it again. It's blistering. It's blistering. Drink. (laughs) A huge thank you to Jake from Strung Out for talking with us today. Today's episode was written and produced by Craig and I. The Talking Records theme song was provided by Krista Makes from Less Than Jake. Craig supplied the graphics for our Instagram. I'd like to thank you, Craig, for for hanging out and talking about this record with me today. Jed, it was definitely fun to do this remote session. We got to do a few more of these like this. It's fun. This is fun, man. I'm sitting here in my pajamas. (laughs) Thank you to everyone who has tuned in to Talking Records, connected with us through Instagram or email. You can find us at Talking Records Podcast on Instagram. Also, you can find us on our own website. TalkingRecordsPodcast.com, where we'll be putting up episodes, bios, all kinds of fun stuff for you to check out while you're listening. You can also email us at TalkingRecords at Outlook.com. Tell us about how you discovered Strung Out. All right. Is that it, Craig? I think we nailed it there, buddy. All right. Take care, everybody. Have a good night. (laughs) 